Well, good morning, Awakening Church, everybody, where you're at, how you doing? And uh, yes, I appreciate uh, the chance to come to you in your home again, live stream. And uh, thanks, Zach, for sharing and praying for us, and Joe and Rebecca for leading us in a moment of worship. Uh, in fact, I appreciate, Joe, you leading off with a new song there as so related to the resurrection. Um, I don't know, do you sort of get lost with your days uh, and your weeks almost with this quarantine and all the change with uh, the coronavirus deal? I tell you what, life seems to be a little bit of a blur when you get out of a routine and things aren't um, coming at you like you normally expect them to and you end up finding yourself going, what day is this? Oh my goodness. And to me... Uh, I don't know about you, but there was this tendency, even though we tried, there was a tendency to just blow right through Easter. And so to have a song about the resurrection is appropriate today because we're going to sort of keep camped there a little bit on the whole understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the aftermath of what happened with it. So you, we went to them the Palm Sunday, the Good Friday, to Easter. Now we're into the next week. Everybody's starting to get a little bit of buzz. Like, could, could we possibly get released and back to some freedom and normalness? And um, you know, the president outlined a, a phased-in plan this last week when the numbers start coming down and dropping, how we can all get back to normal. But we have this moment. We have this day. You have this half hour to pause and keep yourself reflected on the power of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so I want us to camp there. You know, they um, have put together all the different kinds of resurrection appearances of Christ, and there's several that we could go to. This last Wednesday for our Zoom devotional and prayer time, we looked at uh, the appearance of Jesus to his uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. But we're going to look at another one that's towards the latter part of Jesus' appearances before he ascended into heaven. And I want to have us recall that what we're talking about with the resurrection of Jesus Christ is meaningful and important to you in your everyday life where you're seated at right now. I don't know if that you're uh, relaxed in your home, maybe uh, you're out and around, maybe you're on a smartphone device, maybe you're in a larger room with people doing their social distancing and watching on a television set, maybe with your family, maybe you're just bunkered in, still solo on it during these days. But I want you to know the power of the resurrection we celebrated last week and that we're looking at again today can change and transform your life in this hour as surely as it did the people of that time. After Jesus Christ had made all of his appearances and he knew what his next step was, which was he would ascend to the heavens in front of all the people. And the angels would come and they would describe that he would return in the same manner in which he left. In other words, there would be a second coming of Jesus Christ. Jesus is uh, about to unpack some powerful words related to how they can have power through the Holy Spirit. But we find it recorded in Acts 1-3, this, this is the writer Luke, the Dr. Luke, that journeyed, and he wrote this down, a very accurate account in the book, the Gospel of Luke, and then in the book of the Acts of the Apostles. He says this as he leads off the Acts of the Apostles, after his suffering, after the sufferings of Jesus, Jesus presented himself to them to all the people and to the disciples and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So 
historical record. What happened, just as surely as, you know, a few weeks ago, I made mention that my daughter said to me, she, he, she said, was we're going into this coronavirus, Dad, are we making history right now? And I'm like, yeah, just like 9-11 made history, and I remember that. And some people now don't remember that because they were born after 9-11. Just as we are experiencing this uh, quarantine, stay safe, social distancing season uh, with no sports and, and no opportunities to just have freedom to go to some parks and other recreational places, even see extended family. We will remember this as history. Well, friends, this was history. The history of Jesus being crucified on a cross, but then coming back to life. And the buzz was around, did you hear, did you hear, did you hear? But Jesus was not going to just disappear ascend back to the heavens and say, good luck, I did my deal. He stayed around for 40 days. And during those 40 days, he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not weak. In fact, if you study it, it's quite powerful. Let me ask you, if indeed you believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead or that a dead person can come back to life, would that change your life today any? Would it alter how you live life? Would it alter how you uh, encounter the situations that you're in if Jesus Christ had been raised from the dead? Well, certainly it would. Death no longer would have its sting like we talked about last week. But he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And it's said that in the scripture, there's about 10 occasions when it's recorded Jesus gave an appearance to other people. Three, four of those are on the day of the resurrection itself. A couple of others are on the three days the following that. Then another couple went uh, eight days after. And then for the whole 40 days, there's a couple other references. And we're going to look at one of those latter references today. But this is huge because if Jesus Christ really did, and it was only 2,000 years ago, we think 2,000 years is like, wow, that's a really long time. Friends, it is. You know, Scripture says with God, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. It's, time does not really equate to this ancient, ancient world. It was only 2,000 years ago. And in 2,000 years, we still carry this historical message forward. And not only the message, but the ministry and the power and the hope that you and I have because Jesus Christ He's alive. And he came back from the dead. He appeared to people. He showed himself so that there would be convincing proofs. So there would be the chance to study it and to analyze it. Historical record is far more valuable than even scientific record in one sense. Because you have eyewitnesses. And so he had all these eyewitnesses. And one of those eyewitnesses later on was the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul records this in his, one of his writings to the Christians in Corinth. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now he's given the whole gospel message here, summing it up succinctly. And he says this, I passed it on to you after all these years. And it's being passed on down through these 2,000 years. And, and I'm here to pass it on again to you as hope today. That Christ died. He died for our sins according to scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared. 
Don't go far past that essence of the gospel right there. In fact, if you have a friend that you're trying to communicate hope to and encouragement, you start right there. Christ died. He died for our sins. Died to give us hope, new beginnings. And it was according to scriptures. In fact, it was uh, the prophecies that were fulfilled that this would happen. And then he was buried. He was placed in a tomb. He was placed in a tomb for three days. But after that, he was raised. He was raised on the third day. How we celebrate Easter Sunday like we did last week and that we're carrying forward into this week. He was raised on the third day again according to scriptures and the prophecies and what Jesus himself said. None of this was by surprise in one sense when you study the scriptures. And then, and then he appeared. Then he appeared what? Like a ghost? No, he physically appeared in front of people. And he can physically appear again and will when he comes in his full glory in the second coming. But he appears, and he appears today through his Holy Spirit that we're going to give mention to, and he can appear to you right now in your living room, in your bedroom, you know, in your guest area where you're gathered, in your recreational room, whatever it may be. Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ died. And when he was raised to life, he broke the power of uh, not only death, but he broke the power of sin over your life. And Jesus Christ can minister to you as a real person because he is alive right where you're at. And he can appear to you this morning. The Apostle Paul, when he gave reference to this, he then started to enumerate some of those appearances. Like I mentioned, there's about 10 different instances in Scripture where it records of his appearance after the resurrection. He appeared to Cephas, who was Peter, and we recall that. And then he appeared to the twelve. Remember when he appeared to the twelve and there was the doubting. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Now, we don't know in particular when this particular event was, but can you imagine him standing in front of 500 people? Yep, yep, that's him. That's him. He's alive. He's alive. I can't believe it. I saw him crucified. He was ripped of the flesh. He was placed in a tomb. He was dead without a doubt. The guards were around him, and somehow the stone was rolled away, and he came out of that tomb because it was empty. They said they, some people stole the body or made up things about him. It couldn't possibly be because I now see him with my physical eyes. And so he appeared to more than 500 people, brothers and sisters at one time, people who were seeking to be followers of him. And when Paul wrote this, he said, hey, some of them, you can go around and talk to them. You just ask them. Did you see Jesus? <laughs> I saw Jesus, man. It was, it was incredible. You know, we have a lot of uh, uh, celebrate, uh, celebration sightings, uh, celebrity sightings, I should say. Oh, I, I saw a person here. I saw them there. Wow, how cool was that? We get all excited. Can you imagine seeing the person of Jesus Christ, whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, some had died, but some were still alive? And then he goes on. He says, then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles, he's enumerating these times when Jesus appeared so that you and I, historical fact, 2,000 years later, don't need to sit around scratching our head. Well, I don't know. Did he really come back to life? He came back to life. He came back to life. Does that change you or me? And then the apostle Paul says this. And last of all, he appeared to me also 
as to one abnormally born. And what Paul means there, one sort of born out of time because I wasn't with the disciples, the twelve. But you see, Paul was a persecutor of Christians because they were radically changing the Jewish message and proclaiming that Jesus was the Messiah. And he said, no, this is not true. So Paul, at that time known as Saul, a Pharisee, he was persecuting Christians. He was closing down their gatherings where they were trying to meet. But Jesus himself came and appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus, blinding light, blinding him. And Jesus said to him, why, why? Do not believe in me. Why do you persecute me? And Paul became a believer in Jesus Christ because he saw with his eyes the resurrected Jesus. And so he says, and last of all, he appeared to me also. It burned with him such a passion. God changed his name to Paul, but he went from place to place to place. We pray for some of our global partners today because we're still involved in missions and taking the gospel to unknown places around the world, places that don't know the person of Jesus Christ or have a very weak presentation of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul is the greatest missionary of all. He got so empowered upon that experience of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that he went forth. And what was his primary declaration? His primary declaration was Jesus Christ lived. He died. He was buried. He rose on the third day and he appeared. And he appeared to me. Jesus is alive. It changed his life, and it can change your life again today, even though we're seven, eight days out now from Easter. I want us to focus on this reality that Jesus Christ can appear and be present in our life. As it said in Acts 1-3, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. And what did he do over those 40 days? He spoke about the kingdom of God. What was he saying? When he paired to the 500, when he had the 12, where he was interacting, he began to unpack the greatest story of all, which was the kingdom of God. And now that he had been raised from the dead, he could explain more fully what he taught when he actually taught before the cross and when he walked on this earth and had large gatherings and people following him, he performed his miracles. The kingdom of God has to do with the kingship of Jesus. That Jesus is king and ruler and leader and he wants to be the ruler and the leader of our life in all situations at all time, everywhere. And Jesus spoke about the kingdom of God and that his kingdom had come through his presence, through the work that he had done on the cross, breaking the chains of sin and the power of Satan, coming to instill his hope in our life, and then he would come again to establish his earthly reign. So he spoke about all these things. In fact, on the hills of this passage right here, he began to interact with the disciples because they wanted to know when he was going to establish his earthly reign, but they didn't understand that we'd have these 2,000 years, this period of time. In fact, when we walked in this morning, uh, my son Zach and I, and we walked into uh, the Awakening Church facility here to record this live stream with you in your home, we were talking about the moment and time in which we live. These 2,000 years since Jesus was alive, but the 70, 80, 90 years that God may so bless us with as human beings, we will be thinking about this a Google years from now, that you and I, we got to live in the in-between time, between Jesus' first coming, between his second coming, when we knew the power of the resurrection and we were able to proclaim it until he came again. We get to live in this beautiful season 
you may say it's not a very beautiful season with all the limitations that are going on, but friends, you and I are living these days, these hours, in the presence of the Lord, in His kingdom coming into our life, and us being able to forward His kingdom to other people. Will you take the initiative to sit back, relax, breathe in, enjoy, because Jesus Christ is alive, and there's nothing in your day or in your life right now that he cannot help you overcome with what he's accomplished through his work and his ongoing work of the kingdom of God. He spoke about it. He demonstrated it. He will fulfill it and bring it into completion. You ever played the game I Spy? You know what I'm saying by that game? I Spy is a game where... um, you identify something around you and you try to get somebody else to dial into it. So, for instance, if you're sitting in your car with your young child, you could say, let's play the I spy game. And then young child could go, I spy something that is green. And so you look outside your car window and you say, well, is it uh, the tree over there? And your child says, no. And then you say, well, is it the house that's over there? No, because you only get three guesses in I Spy. And so your third guess, you hem-haw around and you think through it. And, and all of a sudden you see a, a, a little green sign maybe out in the corner down the way. And you say, oh, that green sign way down there in the corner. And your child says, nope, you lose. It's the green wrapper that's on the car floor. That's an I Spy game, Right. Or there's books that have all kinds of pictures and things integrated in, and you have to do the I spy thing. Well, with the appearances of Jesus over these 40 days, it was almost like an I spy game. I spy Jesus. I spy Jesus when he uh, met me in the garden, Mary could say. Uh, Doubting Thomas could say, I spy Jesus when he came and he appeared to us in the upper room and he showed me the nail prints in his hands and the uh, spear hole in his side. And then someone else could say, oh, I spy the, the two that were walking on the road to Emmaus like we looked at Wendy. I spy Wednesday. I spy Jesus when all of a sudden he broke bread and went opened our eyes after we were talking to the stranger and we realized it was Jesus. Well, the apostles were continuing to do this I spy of Jesus. And one of those places Jesus had encouraged them to go to after he would be raised from the dead was this area right here. Do you know what this is a picture of? Some of you do. Some of you who know what this picture is, your hearts sort of leap because it's a very fond place to be. I've had the privilege of two different seasons of my life being able to see this place. And this place is the Sea of Galilee. This is the area in which Jesus did his ministry in Israel. You can go there today. There's no big church that covers all of the Sea of Galilee. I like that because whenever you travel around Israel and you see these places that mark places of Scripture and what Jesus did, there's usually some cathedral or chapel or, or, or building over top of it. But that's not true when you go to the Sea of Galilee. When you show the Sea of Galilee and it sort of sits down in a bowl shape kind of thing and you come up over the top, you're... Breath is taken away, at least it was from me, because you realize this was the actual vicinity where Jesus the Galilean would roam and talk and engage. In fact, it was around the sea, up on the northwest part, actually, in Bethsaida, where where Peter came from. 
and some of the other disciples. And it's recorded here that Jesus did some incredible miracles here, but he also appeared to his disciples after the resurrection at the Sea of Galilee. And I don't know about you, but if you have a place where you know that Jesus has met you, it becomes endearing to you. For me, on one of my trips when I was a younger adult, it was an area here like on the north side of the Sea of Galilee where there's big rocks that head out into the sea and you could see the fishermen still fishing today as they did back then in Jesus' day by casting nets across the way. And I remember sitting there as I was on one particular trip and just soaking in the presence of Jesus. I spied Jesus. I could just see Jesus out there on a boat with his disciples. I could just see Jesus walking these shorelines and talking with others. His hometown of Capernaum is right around the corner of where these rocks are from. And I remember sitting on those rocks and just drinking it all in the presence of Jesus. He is alive. He's able to minister to my life, but empower my life to bring me meaning and purpose. And I was so excited to be in that place. But it's not just in that place where I spy Jesus. It's every day in my life and your life where you can I spy Jesus, him meeting with you. But one of the accounts of Jesus' appearance is when he appeared to the disciples in Galilee after his resurrection and they were out fishing in a boat. They had returned to what most of them were familiar with. In fact, they were led by sort of the ringleader of their group. And you find this recorded in John chapter 21, which is almost like an epilogue to the incredible book of the Gospel of John. And so I want to have us look at John 21. In John 21, it says this, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, which were James and John, and two other disciples were together. So there's seven disciples in this I Spy event of Jesus' appearance after his resurrection that brought incredible strength and power to their life. Verse 3, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. So here's their ringleader, Peter, even though he'd gotten himself in trouble, even though he denied Jesus three times before Jesus was crucified, after he told Jesus, I'll never crucify you, I'll go with you to death. Here's G- Peter still sort of being the ringleader of the group. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm going fishing. And I don't know that it was, oh, I'm going fishing. They'd already seen the appearance of Jesus and that he was alive, though they were uncertain with everything that it meant. But Peter says, let's go fishing. And so they all get in a boat, maybe two boats. We'll go with you. So they went out and got into a boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but his disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Hey, friends, haven't you any fish? Well, here's the reality. You would fish normally at nighttime, but they had, uh, in the evening, they'd gone all through the nighttime, no fish. They're weary, they're tired. Do you remember this was a similar scene in the early part of Jesus calling his disciples? Friends, haven't you any fish? He's like 100 yards on the shoreline. 
where those rocks were I just showed you maybe. And, and they're out there 100, 100 yards, football length, football field length. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so when they did this, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. The same kind of story that happened when he called them in. And so you got to picture this, man. Jesus, hey, you didn't catch anything? Why don't you chuck it on the other side? Oh, I don't know who this is up there on the shore, but all right. They threw their nets on the other side, and their nets were filled with fish. They were filled with fish. And here comes an I spy moment. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord, I see him. It's the Lord, it's Jesus. Now who was the disciple whom Jesus loved? It's believed that it was John. And John was probably the youngest disciple. John had this deep, intimate love for Jesus. In fact, there was a little bit of a competitive nature between Peter and John. Remember both of them running to the tomb. Peter got there first, but he didn't go in, but then John went in, that kind of thing. You see this competitive little thing maybe between Peter and John. But John, he seemed to have this, this pure, genuine faith and acceptance and love. But Peter was the person sort of always struggling and getting himself in trouble. He was probably the more charismatic leader, Peter was. But John's leadership was simple, humble, and strength, had strength underneath. When you read both their epistles in the New Testament, you find they were both great leaders and great lovers of Jesus and great ministers of the gospel of Christ through many, many years. And so John is the one who calls out and says to Peter, hey, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and he jumped into the water. Now, what's this mean? Well, he probably had a loincloth wrapped around him because when you do fishing, you sort of have to get out there sometimes with the nets and get the anchors on the bottom so the nets hang so the fish come into it. He'd probably been in and out of the water a few times. So he like had a swimming suit on, right? And so he has a swimming suit on. He sees Jesus, so he then grabs his outer garment, puts it around, wraps it around him, maybe doesn't even put it on, and he jumps into the water and he begins moving towards Jesus. Now, part of you, if you know about Peter walking on the water, you say, why didn't he get a chance to walk on the water then? Well, every miracle has its own purpose in and of itself. But in this particular season, he just jumped in the water. He's only 100 yards away, and he begins moving himself towards Jesus. Now, the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about 100 yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat that is now had been brought up and he dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Now, I love the detailed information of this. Why? Because it's historical. This is not made up. 
153, why would you give that number? There's different reasons why people think there was 153. One person thought it was because there's 153 different kinds of species of fish at that time and they were all there. Yay, nay, probably not. I don't know, but there's just this idea that the details are there to tell you about the historical event where there was the I spy moment of Jesus with the seven disciples along the north or the shore of Galilee and he had begun to prepare them breakfast some fish some bread that's what was normally given for a breakfast and Peter when he sees them bring up the boat or the two boats he jumps back in the middle of the water and helps pull the fish up maybe let them uh, school the school of fish that were trapped in the nets caught there in the water stayed in the water so they would stay fresh or something like that but then they all they all went and they sat down around the campfire how cool is that they sat around a campfire and Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew, they knew it was the Lord. It was an I spy moment, right? Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and they did the same with the fish. This moment I find this moment a very endearing moment that brings a lot of strength to me in my life. Jesus sought them out, sought Peter out in particular because of his denial of him. And he hung out with them. And he hung out in a casual environment doing what we're not getting to do right now, which is socialize close to one another with our friends. And he would teach them and impart to them in life. But he enjoyed their presence and they enjoyed his presence. Now it says uh, the disciples dared not ask him who you are, but they knew it was the Lord. Seemingly the resurrected body of Jesus had somehow had a different kind of appearance or strength about it. And so they were hesitant, but yet they knew it was him. That's why he would sort of have some of these I spy appearance moments and people, it's like, I, I guess it is, it's him. But Jesus wants to do the same to you and I. He wants to come and he wants to sit down around your table. He wants to bring provision. He wants to meet with you. He wants to be in your presence. He wants to fellowship. He wants to share with you. And in these days of quarantine, social distancing, we have the opportunity to be found in the presence of Jesus because Jesus is still meeting with people around small circles, around opportunities of fellowship and sharing and the breaking of the bread and the eating. Jesus wants to meet with you and meet with me. Have you been giving him time and margin and space for Jesus, or have you just been rolling in and out of bed, going to maybe work online, doing other things, trying to do some house projects, and you're really not capitalizing on an incredible historical season that God has given us to draw near to him. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples, meeting to them as a large group after he was raised from the dead. He made appearances. 
giving convincing proofs that he was alive, teaching them about the kingdom of God, drawing near to them, giving them in practice what they would continue to do once his spirit came, which was to draw near to him. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? What we have happening here in verse 15 is what's called the restoration of Peter. Peter had denied Jesus. He was so boisterous that he wouldn't. But there he did, three times before the cock crowed, it says in scriptures, and Jesus died on Good Friday morning. Jesus takes an intimate moment with, G with Peter after they've been eating. So if you can sort of picture, after they finished eating, Jesus says, hey, Peter, come with me a little bit. And so they begin walking along the shoreline where those rocks are of Sea of Galilee. And he starts recalling to him, hey, I, I saw when that happened and I saw this. And, you know, maybe Simon, Peter, his head's hung down. He knows like, man, I'm going to get reprimanded by Jesus now. But Jesus doesn't do that. In this quaint, intimate, I spy moment of being found in his uh, presence after uh, the resurrection of Jesus, Peter finds warmth and strength coming from Jesus. And Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, what do you think he's referencing when he says more than these? A couple of things. They had just gone back to fishing, their occupation. They had just had this huge haul of fish. And whether it's one or a couple boats, he's got his friend there. Maybe he's looking back and he says, Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? These things that you have around you, your career, your vocation, your portfolio, your wealth, all your hope for the future of monetary means, all your pride, if you will, and being a great fisherman. Do you love me more than those things? That's what Jesus not only asking Peter, he asked you and I this morning. Or it could be that when he says, do you love me more than these? He's looking at the other disciples. And he knows John's out there, Peter does. Sort of one of his rival, good companion kind of guys. But he's like, I don't know. John loves you a lot. He doesn't mess up like I do. I don't know what Jesus was referencing fully. He says, do you love me more than these? Whether it was, had to do with his career, vocation, monetary means, or, or had to do with other people that were around him. But Jesus gave this straightforward, uh, direct kind of question that not only comes to Peter, but comes to you and I. I remember when it's come to me several times in my life when I've had decisions weighing in the balance. Do I do this with my life or do I do this with my life? And Jesus just simply says, Carrie, do you love me? Do you love me more than these, this and that? And I would have to come to a place and I would say, what? Uh, let me think about it. I don't know. There's a lot of weight on the line here. I don't, I don't know if I can sort of give that up or give this up. Well, if you're real with yourself, that's true. That's what happens in our inner nature. Especially if you've been a follower of Jesus for a period of time. Sometimes it gets harder because Jesus, he points out more and more things that have lordship over our life there other than his lordship. And so Peter is asked this question by Jesus. Do you love me more than these? What do you think Peter said? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. And so Jesus said, then feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. 
You would think that would have been good enough. He gave the answer. Peter didn't say, hey, let me think about it. I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, weigh in the balance. I, don't, I like you. I, I sort of love you, but I, I don't know. You, this is like, like a big deal, this, this love thing, huh? Do you love me? Yes, Lord. He said, I love you more. I love you. And then again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter probably scratched his head. What's going on? I, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, then take care of my sheep. He gives a different kind of flock analogy. We were talking about fishing, being fishers of men, hauling in the fish. Now it's talking about sh- lambs and sheep. Simon probably thought, well, maybe he didn't quite hear me the first time. I said that I love you, Lord. But a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter, in his inner spirit, was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus again then said, feed my sheep. Now, some linguistics say that the third time Jesus asked this, he used a different kind of word in the Greek for love, and that's true. But in Aramaic, there weren't a differences of words. Plus, Jesus, Peter was not saying, no, I'm not sure that I love you. He was affirming, I love you, I love you, I love you. And Jesus was saying, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. He was pointing him to the future, that he had a calling on his life. He wasn't just to be an eyewitness. Hey, I won the iSpy game. I saw Jesus a lot. No, you have seen me. Now you give testimony to me. I'm going to give you the power of my spirit to be a witness to all people. And Jesus restored Peter back into this relationship. I can see the embrace and, 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 and uh, the, the encouragement brought. But Peter still had some wobbling in his brain. In his mind, what was going on? Very truly, I tell you, Jesus said, you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. What does it mean, stretched out your hands? In those days, it meant crucifixion. Jesus was postponing by the way of which the apostle Peter would end up dying. And it's believed that's exactly how Peter ended up dying. Some say upside down on a cross. Peter, you have freedom now. There's going to come a day when you have outstretched arms and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Jesus would glorify God. Then he just simply said to him, Peter, Follow me. Now it says this in John 20. I'm going to finish out the chapter by reading it to you. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. (laughs) I don't know about you. I find that funny. Here's Jesus having a moment with Peter. And here's the beloved John off in a distance going, what are they saying? Eavesdropping, right? Getting in on it. Thankfully, I'm glad he did because he ended up recording it. Otherwise, we wouldn't have known this story, this epilogue part. And so he says, 
This was one who had leaned back against Jesus to supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? So it's identifying himself as, Pe- as John. When Peter saw him, he said, Lord, what about him? Isn't that true? You ever had Jesus come to you and say, I want you to do something, and then you look around and say, what about them? And Jesus basically says, it's none of your business. He answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down, we know that his testimony is true. And then the last verse of John, I love Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that not even the whole world would be able to have room for the books that would be written. You capture the event? Why have I spent so much time parked here today? Why take so much time to unpack a story? Because my passion is for you to spy Jesus present in your life right now. He wants to meet with you. He wants to dine with you. He wants to bring you hope and fulfillment and encouragement. He wants to take you deeper in the faith. If you're on the outside looking in and you don't know Jesus personally, He's wanting to reveal Himself, appear to you, and say, come, follow me. This isn't a religion, this Christian faith. It's a relationship, and it's an intimate relationship with one who is a lover of our souls. And Jesus is still loving people to the very end today. Are you satisfied in him? What Jesus did was powerful in word to Peter that day, but more powerful than that was his presence with them. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, right? He had a love relationship. They served Jesus to the ends of their life. Peter being martyred. The Apostle John lived to be probably 98 years old. And he died of himself on an abandoned island. The island of Patmos is believed when he wrote the book of Revelation. Jesus wants to meet with you. Are you meeting with him? When I had that picture of the Sea of Galilee and those rocks come back to me this week, my heart went back to those moments of surrender and yieldedness as a young adult when I said, Lord, I love you. I give you my life. I want to live for you. Are you satisfied with Jesus in the midst of all that's going on? I want to conclude by giving you that exhortation to love Jesus, to watch for His appearance in your life, and to be satisfied in Him. To be satisfied in Him, the stories told of a, a Chinese pastor a number of years ago who was thrown into prison because of his faith in Jesus Christ. He was thrown into solitary confinement. He was thrown into a cell for over a year by himself. No light, no sound, no human companionship. 
He was finally released out of that cell. And his Christian's friends uh, came up to him. He, he, he had a body that was, was frail. But he came out of the cell radiant and glowing. And, and they were just taken back by this. And they said, how did you survive? What did you do? <laughs> and the Chinese pastor just smiled back at them and said, it was like living a dream. I found that I could have complete fulfillment in the presence of Jesus. Really? Over 365 days with nothing of, of, of human pleasures or existence around you? In darkness, away from any interaction? And that pastor said, it was like a dream. I found complete fulfillment by being in the presence of Jesus. And, and I didn't know if I could. You know, a lot's been stripped of our life these days. You can't just get up and go to a store if you want or go get your latte at your favorite coffee place and sit down and, and hang out with some friends real close. Can't go to church and love and hug on one another. A lot's been taken away from us in this coronavirus challenge season. But what if you had Facebook taken away from you? What if you had your ability to go to your own refrigerator taken away from you? What if you had your ability to get up and walk out of your house and walk down the street taken away from you? What about some other kinds of means of interactions? FaceTime, our Zoom calls, right? Going on Pinterest, whatever it may be that you're filling your time with. What if that was all taken away from you and I? Would we still be satisfied in Him? Would we find it a dream that He could be found in our presence and we could be found in His Friends, we're given a historical season in our life to see if we can become content. You know, most moral failures happen because people fail to live their life in the full presence of Christ. I know it's true of pastors. And we can get busy trying to, you know, do this and do that and feel pressured to push out on this ministry program, accomplish this, look this way on a television screen, whatever it may be. But friends, it'll crumble and fall. Moral failure happens because we do not find our full contentment and rest in Him. And so I'd like to just position to you this thought this morning. The more real and satisfying the resurrected Jesus becomes to you and me, the less pressing uncertainty, stressing problems, gripping fear, and tempting sin weigh in on me. Do you find yourself today pressed in with uncertainty? When are we going to get back to work? What about the financial reasons? What about the stressing problems of life, trying to put out the fires or make do with certain things happening in the household? Gripping fear or tempting sin. When you, I spy Jesus in your life and His presence becomes real, more and more it helps disarm those things that are pressing in around you and I. I went out for a walk last night and I was thinking through the seasons in my life when the real satisfying presence of the resurrected Jesus kept me from so many things that would have been ill in my life. And I recalled when, and a, few, a number of years ago when, when I lost my ministry, when I lost companions around me, when my family became uncertain about the financial security of our life, other changes were happening. I got into an emotional duress place and even physically uh, alarmed in some ways. Jesus was my intimate friend. 
And I'm so grateful I turned to him because if it was not for the intimacy of Jesus Christ during that very challenging season of my life a few years ago, I would not be where I'm at today. But because I found fulfillment and satisfaction in him, he was my all in all. And I began singing last night one of those hymns in my life, fill me now, fill me now, come, O oh, come and fill me now. Fill me with thy hallowed presence, come, O oh, come and fill me now. Can you find yourself at a place in your Christian life where the fullness of Jesus is enough? Where you're satisfied in Him? Or maybe you're not a Christian believer here this morning, this afternoon, watching this, wherever you may be at. Have you spied the real Jesus? Because He wants to bring satisfaction to you. Not the historical legendary Jesus that people recorded in a book who's dead and gone. No, the living, alive Jesus Christ, resurrected, who wants to appear in presence with you. This is my encouragement for you to be satisfied in Him. And I want to give you five quick things that you can do in your home in this season that we've been given. The first is invite the life of Jesus to live and lead fully within you. You will never be satisfied with Him unless you've surrendered your life to Him. And you can do that this morning. Surrender your life to the Jesus who comes and meets you along the shoreline, maybe not of Galilee, but along the hedge line of your backyard. He wants to meet you. Go meet with Him and let Him live, live and lead fully within. The second is during this time, read the stories of Jesus to discover the wonder of Him. It was joy this last week to go back and just unpack this story and so many other stories. You have the chance to get to know Jesus. Some people say, I don't, it's hard for me to know Jesus. What well, do you spend time reading the Scriptures, the Gospels? The red letter words in my Bible are the actual words that Jesus spoke. We've been given these moments, some extra time. Maybe not sit and binge watch the next Netflix uh, series you want to do, but spend time binging through the Gospels and discovering Jesus. Read stories about Him. Picture how those stories could unfold. Picture how that means in your life. And I spy Jesus in Scripture so you can I spy Him working in your life and working in those around you. The third is befriend the people of Jesus who talk intimately about Him. Do you know there are certain people that you could call now that you probably couldn't call other times because they're not doing anything? But the people that are great to befriend in order to find satisfaction in Christ are those who talk intimately about Him. Those who have walked with Him and talked with Him. Spend time befriending people of Jesus who talk intimately about Him and know Him. So much banter that goes on around us. But oh, the beauty, and that's part of the beauty we miss, sitting face to face, sharing about the wonder of Christ. Four is practice the presence of Jesus to simply and daily enjoy Him. If anything, this is one that I've been trying to work on. I'm going to work on again this week. I've got to slow down and it's okay. We don't know the timeline when things are released for us to get back into church, get some things back up and going. We'll continue to do live stream. We'll do a Zoom call. We'll encourage others. I'll interact with people on the phone. We will be in study. All those kinds of things we can do and we can pray. But my mind goes to places where I'm like, well, what do I do with my time? I'm tired of watching the news. Could you and I just make a commitment to enjoy Jesus? Just enjoy His presence. And so many times, especially people in ministry, we need to just simply enjoy Him and not be prepping or preparing or planning for Him. But then the fifth, 
comes back to feed my sheep. Obey the promptings of Jesus to boldly serve alongside of him. Some of the I spy moments that you need for Jesus in your life are when you see Jesus working in someone's life or needing to work in someone's life and you partner with Jesus and his ministry to see that happen. Maybe he's prompted you to call someone, to write someone a letter. Old school, right? Maybe email, that's cool too. Maybe he's paused you to spend time with your children in some ways that maybe you haven't had a chance to before. The promptings of Jesus to boldly serve alongside of him because it's his ministry, it's not ours. And God has allowed this season across our world to come into being but he's still at work. The church is still the instrument of Jesus to proclaim his gospel and to serve others. So obey the promptings of Jesus. Feed my sheep, Jesus told Peter. Boldly serve alongside me. There's a new translation I came across. I close with this verse. It's called the Passion Translation. It's one of the things I discovered in this time. I don't know where where I've been, but I guess it's come out a few years ago or it's continuing to to be updated and written. Uh, A guy that's worked on a mission field, some other um, linguistic backgrounds that he had. Maybe you've heard of it, the Passion Translation. Uh, You can go to a website and look at it and discover more about it and how it was written. But the goal was to translate not just the knowledge and the information and get it right, but to translate the heart and the emotion that's behind how the scriptures were originally written. I want to take you to 2 Peter 1.3. Why Peter? Because we just talked about Peter. Peter lived a full life of feeding God's sheep, addressing the needs of people, proclaiming the gospel, that he was buried, that he was raised, that he appeared, that he can bring salvation to all people. Peter devoted his life to loving Jesus and serving him and walking that intimate walk. So here we find in 2 Peter 1.3, these words out of the Passion Translation. Everything we could ever need for life and complete devotion to God has already been deposited in us by His divine power. Oh, it's already there if you've invited Christ to live and lead within you. Everything you ever need for life, in quarantine or otherwise, and complete devotion to God, already been deposited in you by His present Holy Spirit, His divine power. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing Him who has called us by name and invited us to come to Him through a glorious manifestation of His goodness. Friends, Jesus as we mentioned a few weeks ago, from a quote by Corey Ten Boom, Jesus is not something that is all you know you need you have until he's all you have. You do not know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have, she said, and you can find complete satisfaction in him. But, number one, is invite the life of Jesus to live and lead fully within. Have you responded to his invitation? He's called you by name. He calls you this morning. For Jesus, not only walking 
on the Sea of Galilee or serving breakfast along the shore of Galilee, Jesus is in your room today asking you to respond to his invitation to follow him, to let him live and lead, but also to be satisfied in him. Will you pray with me? Lord, in these moments as we've spent time, so much time we're spending in all different kinds of pockets, I'm so grateful for people who have hung with me through this study here on a live stream. But Lord, where we're gathered in our homes and with one another, I pray, Jesus, that you would reveal yourself afresh and anew to you. We do live on the glorious spring side of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we need to spy him in everyday moments because as believers, Jesus, we know you dwell within us and you go before us. And that all the power that we have is already granted and bestowed to us through your Holy Spirit. Jesus, may you become real to us even more. And may we find our full satisfaction in you so the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glorious grace. In light of your glorious gospel, of your hope. And Lord, may the uncertainties around us, the problems, the fear, the temptations of sin, may they fall to the wayside because we are found in your presence and satisfied with you. Lord, for anybody struggling this morning with temptations in this season, may they turn their heart to be not tempted by the sin that is around them or the despair or the fear, but may they be turned to your presence in your scriptures, reading your story, hearing your words, befriending people who know you. Whatever it may be, Jesus, may they turn towards you and pivot that direction and not pivot towards the despair and fear. Fill them now. Come, O oh, come, and fill them now. And Lord, if there's anyone that's watching this who has never, ever invited you to live and lead within them, may they just simply bow their head, repent of their sins, turn from that direction of indifference in life, and turn towards you and invite you to come because of your first invitation for us to come and to meet with you. And Lord, may they be saved today because they've received you. In the quietness of your heart, you simply pray that prayer in your home or wherever you are. Lord Jesus, I surrender. Come live within me. Be my Lord. Be my forever friend. But be the one who satisfies my longings. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, the sweet, sweet stories I hope to hear in the coming weeks when we're all back together of how, Jesus, you met with people and you satisfied them. In your name we pray. Amen. And amen.